For some people, making art is a way to express political convictions. For others, it's a way to express love. One local man communicated his love for his family and his family homestead in an artful way that developed out of his professional training. Whether Dr. Walter Owen's love of his family, his sense of place, or his passion for woodworking came first, it's hard to say. But what is not ambiguous is the significance of the legacy he left for his family, for the planet, for furniture makers around the world, and even, as it turns out, for his public radio station. Shane Lauder reports. Dr. Walter Owens was born in Lawrence County and worked as a surgeon and obstetrician in Bloomington for 30 years. He was also known to his family and friends as a passionate furniture maker. This is his daughter, Catherine Wheelton. He made for each of us children, as we needed it, a bed and a dresser. And then we started having grandchildren, so each of the grandchildren got a bed and a dresser. <laughs> and then the grandchildren started getting married, and so he, he started again on the double beds, and that was about as far as he got. Dr. Owens had learned woodworking while in the Air Force from 1954 to 56, where he worked as a physician. When I was about seven years old, we lived on Air Force Base, and they had a woodworking shop with all kinds of wonderful professional tools. And so my father got a plan out of Popular Mechanics or someplace probably, and he made a very fine drop-front desk with pigeonholes and curly cues and beautiful brass hardware. That he made basically carrying the pieces back and forth from our apartment on the Air Force Base to the wood shop. So my mother always said if she had to write the biography of her life, it would be lumber under the bed. But long before he entered the Air Force and before he got into woodworking, Walter Owens had to confront the distressing situation on his family's farm in Lawrence County, where he grew up. This strawberry farm was intensively cultivated all through the Depression. And then at the end of the Depression came the war, and all of family members who could provide this stoop labor to pick the strawberries, they all went off to work in the war or work in war industries or become soldiers. The farm really became unmanageable as a, an income producer. My father had by that time finished medical school and moved away and started a family. And my grandfather, who had farmed this land near Norman, Indiana, he died then. So my father walked over the land with his sisters and they talked about what could be. It was clear that nobody wanted to live there anymore and nobody wanted to farm out there. It wasn't just that nobody wanted to farm there. In truth, nobody could farm there. The soil was completely depleted. There was very little topsoil. It could not be farmed. So one of my earliest memories is as a toddler walking over the land with my father and him pointing out what wasn't there. There's no briars here. There's no milkweed pods here. There's nothing growing here. All we could see were just a layer of lichens on the subsoil. Not even annual weeds would take root there. It was very barren looking. The soil situation was desperate. There were gullies on that land that you could lose a pickup truck in. Erosion was getting worse every year. He had to consider what to do. And what he decided to do was to first save the soil. So his solution was to plant pine trees. Turning the farm into a forest was a task that involved the whole family and took years, one weekend at a time. 
Whenever he had a three-day weekend, no matter what state we lived in, we always piled in the car and drove to that farm. My dad would go over to the state forestry office. They had a warehouse, and he would pick up some pine seedlings, 1,500 pine seedlings he could plant in a weekend. They were really small. I mean, we're talking about the size of a pencil. (laughs) 1,500 trees could fit in the car easily. (laughs) And so we'd go back to the farm. He'd fill up a bucket with water, and one of us kids would carry the bucket with the trees in it, and one of us would carry the shovel, and my father would walk ahead of us and pace out the path. And every few steps, he'd stop and he'd throw in the shovel and push it back and then stick in a a seedling. So we could stomp the ground around it and the seedling would take root. And when we came back the next year, one whole field was already planted. And then we'd move on to the next field. The Owens family called those pine trees the nurse trees because they put life back into the soil. And around them, in between them, a hardwood forest spontaneously began to emerge. The reason I called the little pine trees the nurse trees was that the the pine trees held the soil and dropped vegetable matter and allowed undergrowth. And uh, as the soil became better uh, and as the pine trees grew up and died off, some of them became post-mature, those are not long-lived trees, then the hardwoods self-seed. So we live in southern Indiana in the eastern woodlands biosphere. And the beauty of it is that if you leave a field alone, it will become a forest. And the forest has its own way of regenerating and enriching itself. Well, we're really blessed in Indiana. Assistant Forestry Director Amy Spaulding of the Indiana Department of Natural Resources. We have very productive soils and very productive forests. They'll naturally regenerate themselves after a disturbance. In that case, where she had the pine trees growing in, probably the seed could have blown in. It could have been wind disseminated. Other seed could be brought in with the help of animals. A bird could bring it in and kind of drop it off in your woodland with a little bit of fertilizer. If an area is by a stream, it could be carried in by water. Since those weekends of planting back in the late 1940s, the Owens family tree farm has become home to a rich variety of hardwoods and softwoods. We have an oak hickory forest and we have a pine cedar forest. So some of the old pines are still there, but the oaks and the hickories and the ashes, the beeches, black walnut, maple, and tulip trees, all of these have self-seeded and grown to maturity now. We have some black walnuts that have been harvested and have been sold sometimes for fine wood veneer even to firms as far away as Italy. Catherine and her siblings put together an LLC corporation to manage the farm after their father's death. Every 10 years or so, they hire a professional forester to select trees for logging. This forester then contracts with a logging company and a sawmill and manages the sale of lumber. Not all family-run forest lands are so well organized, but Dr. Owen's children recognized how important the woodland was to their father. Although time on the farm represented a relaxing break from Owen's medical practice, it also offered an opportunity for active recreation as he selected trees to transform into fine furniture. But was it such a break from the doctor's day job? Fine woodworking, his daughter points out, might be considered on a continuum with the surgeon's art. 
you want your surgeon to be a perfectionist, right? It's also true that a surgeon and a woodworker have in common the fact that they have great respect for their materials and their tools. So as my father found time to work on the woodworking, he was able to devote a lot of attention to it and get some really good quality tools, and the quality of his products improved. As Walter Owen's avocation came to occupy increasing amounts of his time, the doctor's wife, Tommy, decided to get in on the act. My father's always in the garage working on some woodworking project. She basically decided if you can't lick them, join them. So she went out and she learned how to operate the machines too. And she learned how to glue up different kinds of wood and make very nice slabs with six or eight different woods in them. And then she would saw off a very thin slice of this. And then she cut out on the saber saw a shape of Indiana. She put a nice finish on it and stuck on a sticker. And at one point, my understanding is that the mayor of Bloomington was handing out these little wooden souvenirs, kind of like the key to the city. Woodworking came to be a family affair, just like the effort to revive the farm. It was an effort requiring vision and generosity. When I was a child, apparently my father was sitting on the front lawn of the old farmhouse and they were having a picnic. The family members noticed that he was grubbing around in the dirt and they said, what are you doing, Walter? And he said, I'm planting a black walnut tree for my grandchildren. He was digging in the dirt and putting in a black walnut and then thinking of the tree that was going to grow 75 years from now. (laughs) It's very heartening to me. It's very inspiring to me to think that my father was planning so far in the future for a beautiful forest and for a sustainable harvest for a woodland that would continue for generations. Dr. Walter Owens passed away in 2009, but the spirit of his tree planting project had a funny way of returning. It was dark and I had just come from my father's funeral and I was driving alone and I heard a fundraising appeal from WFIU. It said if you would donate a certain amount that a tree would be planted to honor anyone you wanted to designate. And it was so appropriate for my father. I pulled right over to the side of the road and I made that call on my cell phone. And I thought, this was so perfectly timed. It made me feel somehow a a, a bit of closure over the whole loss of him. He actually died in the woods. The woods where Walter Owens passed away, the woods that exist because of his vision, generosity, and hard work, continue to provide lumber for fine furniture made around the world. The furniture the surgeon made from his homegrown trees is a more personal part of his legacy. Owens' daughter, Catherine, cherishes those pieces, along with her father's philosophy. What I learned from him very early on was that you have to think of the little tree that you plant as a seedling, as a great producer of lumber 50 years from now. You can't just think of the forest as you see it. You have to think of it decades in advance. And it's also important to enjoy it now. So walk through the woods and look at the trees and breathe the air and watch what's on the ground and learn to love the woods that way. For WFIU, I'm Shane Lauder. Shane's is the first in a series of stories about woodworkers that we'll be bringing you in the weeks to come.